the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. It's not a picture of good people, bad people. If that were the case, then why were good people being taken hostage and having to serve 70 years of captivity in Babylon? So the figs do not represent good people, bad people. The good fruit, bad fruit of this story represents the good that will come out of being disciplined by God or the bad that will result for those who resist it. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. All humans are fallen. The sin we're born into rots us from the inside out. As Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, it's our response to that sinful nature that determines whether we become good fruit or bad fruit in God's sight. You have to be willing to accept his discipline and refinement. It's not going to feel good when he's scrubbing away at those selfish tendencies you have, but ultimately, his love drives his discipline. He longs to restore you to his original, perfect design for mankind. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 24, as he begins his message, Good Things Out of a Bad Place. Today we're in Jeremiah chapter 24. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's only 10 verses, so if you would just follow along as I read. Jeremiah chapter 24, and starting at verse 1. After Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials, the craftsmen, and the artisans of Judah were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Lord showed me two baskets of figs placed in front of the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like those that ripen early. The other basket had very poor figs, so bad they could not be eaten. Then the Lord asked me, what do you see, Jeremiah? Figs, I answered. Uh, Thank you, Jeremiah. Um, He says, the good ones are very good, but the poor ones are so bad they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. 
I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. But like the poor figs, which are so bad they cannot be eaten, says the Lord, so will I deal with Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials, and the survivors from Jerusalem, whether they remain in this land or live in Egypt. I will make them abhorrent as an offense to all the kingdoms of the earth, a reproach and a byword, an object of ridicule and cursing wherever I banish them. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them until they are destroyed from the land I gave to them and their fathers. Well, last week uh, we had some visual aids for you because we were in Jeremiah 18 and 19 that talked about the potter's house and pottery, and God called Jeremiah to go to the house of the potter, and there God would use some visual aids to help Jeremiah understand some things that the Lord was trying to teach him. And so last week I had, uh, we borrowed a, a potter's wheel and we had some clay and we had a, a pottery here. And today, uh, in chapter 24, God uses another visual aid, and he tells Jeremiah to look at something. And so, uh, again, on loan from the Israeli Museum are two baskets of figs, either that or Hobby Lobby and giant food. But anyway, so here we have, just as a visual illustration, I have for you two baskets of figs. Now, I didn't know how to like make one basket bad. Terry said to me, like, how are you going to make one basket bad? I'll just, I don't know, squunch it. But I decided I'm just going to just anyway. Imagine one good, one bad. Since God used these as illustrations, I figured I would too. All right. Just go with me. I'm trying to lighten up your morning. So anyway... Uh, This is what Jeremiah sees here, two baskets of figs. So I'm going to use it also as a visual aid. By the way, sometimes it's dangerous to use visual aids. Sometimes pastors trying to communicate a a theme or a a moral of a story use visual aids that, well, they aren't always understood properly. It reminds me of a story where a pastor was using a visual aid in one of his sermons, and he had four jars, and he had four worms, And uh, in one jar, uh, he filled it with whiskey. In another jar, he filled it with cigarette smoke. In another jar, he uh, filled it with chocolate syrup. And in the fourth jar, he filled it with uh, dark, rich soil. And then he dropped a worm in each each jar. And then he preached his sermon. and, uh, And at the end, to illustrate his sermon, he came back. And sure enough, he announced that the worm in the whiskey jar dead and the worm in the cigarette smoke jar, dead. And the worm in the chocolate syrup jar, dead. But the worm in the rich, beautiful black soil was alive and thriving. He says, what do you, what do you suppose the message is I'm trying to get across? This one elderly lady in the back of the sanctuary raised her hand. Maxine said, I know the moral of the story. The moral of the story is if you drink and smoke and eat chocolate, you won't get worms. Not really. Not really. So, at the risk of using some visual aids that may not be understood properly, I'm going to try to unpack what we have here in chapter 4. Now, if you look at your Bibles here in Jeremiah 24, you'll notice in verse 1 that two kings are mentioned. It starts out by naming uh, Jehoiakim. Some of your translations say Jeconiah. It's just a variation of the same name. Jehoiakim. It's a hard C-H. It's Yehoiachin. And he's the son of 
a previous king, Jehoiakim. So very close in the pronunciation. And then we also notice in verse 8, if you jump ahead to verse 8, the name Zedekiah. Now, these were the last three kings of Judah. This is the territory we're talking about. Judah's the southern province of Israel. And so these last three kings served in Judah in this order, Jehoiakim, and then his son, Jehoiakim, also known as Jeconiah in some translations, and then finally Zedekiah. These are the last three kings of Judah. And chapter 24, verse 1, begins by telling us that King Jehoiakim, this is the second to last king, has been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, along with the craftsmen and the artisans, those are the silversmiths of Judah, and they are taken exile, they're taken captive and deported to Babylon. Now, this is exactly what Jeremiah the prophet had warned. He has been ministering now for some 30 years, and he has been warning people over and over again, if you forsake the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you just keep worshiping these pagan gods of the neighboring nations around you, God's going to judge you, and the rod of his discipline, the instrument of his judgment, is going to be the Babylonians. I mean, Jeremiah just spells it out in advance. He prophesies to the people. He says, the Babylonians are going to come. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is going to come, and he's going to besiege Judah, and he's going to haul us off as captives, but they were turning a deaf ear to all this. Well, now, now this is all coming to pass, and Jehoiakim Uh, the king has been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the details of uh, how Jehoiakim was captured are not given to us in Jeremiah, but they are given to us in the book of Kings. And remember, the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied during different books of the Old Testament Bible. And so, as Jeremiah is prophesying, uh, we also uh, read the account of the demise of Jeconiah in 2 Kings chapter 24. So I'll read it. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read a small portion, 2 Kings 24, just so you can get the details, what happened and how, and how he fell into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. So this is 2 Kings 24. I'm going to read verses 8 to 17. This is what it says. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, daughter of Elnathan. She was from Jerusalem. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is King Jehoiakim. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. At that time, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And Nebuchadnezzar himself came up to the city while his officers were besieging it. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles, and his officials all surrendered to him. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiakim prisoner. As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and took away all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried into exile all Jerusalem, all the officers and fighting men and all the craftsmen and artisans, a total of 10,000 people. Only the poorest people of the land were left. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiakim captive to Babylon. He also took From Jerusalem to Babylon, the king's mother, his wives, his officials, and the leading men of the land. The king of Babylon also deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000 fighting men, strong and fit for war, and a 1,000 craftsmen and artisans. And he made Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in in his place and changed his name 
to Zedekiah. All right, so your attention here. Jehoiakim is 18 years old when he becomes king. His father, Jehoiakim, has already been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. So at a young age, Jehoiakim is now king of Judah. And because he's young, he's impressionable, he sees Nebuchadnezzar advancing, he just surrenders. He gives up early and he gives up quick. And along with Jehoiakim, his uh, royal officials, his mother, his wives, they're taken captive back to Babylon, uh, as well as the craftsmen and the artisans, 7,000 fit fighting men of Judah taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar's army. 10,000 people, all told, uh, were deported to Babylon. So this entire map represents now the territory of the Babylonian Empire. Roughly 606 BC, they besiege and they end up taking all of this territory, all the way from Egypt through the Sinai, Israel, Lebanon, Jordan, uh, Turkey, Syria, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, Iraq, Iran. All of this map is under the territory of the Babylonian Empire. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has been besieging Judah for the last 20 years. For 20 years. And when he attacks and finally uh, takes the stronghold, which is the capital city of Jerusalem, he takes prisoner Yeconiah and his family and 10,000 Jews, and he deports them all the way back to Babylon. He will take them through the north, and then they hug the Euphrates River all the way down past what is today Baghdad and all the way down into ancient Babylon. Now, the Babylonians had a very unique uh, uh, um, mindset regarding warfare. When they would attack a neighboring nation, they would deport many of the people back to Babylon. And the reason was because, well, you know, your history is Babylon is considered the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the the ancient world. It was beautiful. It was luxurious. And the Babylonians understood if we can get these people back to Babylon, they'll be more loyal to us because they will become seduced by the beauty of, of where we live and our culture, and our food, and the people. And that's exactly what they did. They made loyal citizens out of their POWs by bringing them into the beauty and luxury and wonder of ancient Babylon. And to some degree, that worked. So here come these uh, Jewish prisoners taken captive back to Babylon. There were three waves over a period of 20 years. Because Nebuchadnezzar, when he came down to Judah, which is the southern part of Israel, he just started to wear the people down by attacking the smaller unfortified cities one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, until Jerusalem was left last. And every time he would attack some town, some some village, some city, he would deport people. History tells us there were three waves of deportation of the Jews back to Babylon. The first was 606 B.C., And among the thousands that were taken captive were King Jehoiakim and Daniel and his friends. They were taken in 606 BC. The second wave of of Jews who were deported was 597 BC. Among those 10,000 was King Jehoiakim and the prophet Ezekiel. And then the last siege and deportation was 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar ransacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took the remaining exiles prisoner back to uh, Babylon. Now, he would leave some in the land, uh, but he would take tens of thousands captive back to uh, ancient Babylon. And so, you know the old saying, Rome didn't fall in a day. Well, either did Jerusalem. It took 20 years 
from, 580, from 606 BC to 586 BC of Nebuchadnezzar just wearing down Judah until finally he took the fortified capital city of Jerusalem and destroyed it in 586 BC. So this story that we're reading here in chapter 24 takes place right around 597 BC because during the second deportation, because it says just after, that's verse 1, just after King Jehoiakim and the craftsmen and the artisans and the officials were taken captive, then the Lord shows Jeremiah in the temple two baskets of figs. Now, why were there two baskets of figs at the temple? Well, the answer is first fruits. The people would bring their offerings to the house of the Lord to honor the Lord with the first of the fruit of their harvest. And in this case, uh, they had somebody had brought either two people brought a basket each or one person brought two baskets. We don't have any history on it. But here at the temple, the Lord says to Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, I see figs. And God's like, be a little more specific. And Jeremiah says, okay, I see two baskets of figs, and one basket is good figs, and one basket is bad figs. Now, if you, if you have a King James Bible, it says, instead, instead of the word bad, it says naughty. <laughs> Just, isn't that funny? Okay, one bad, naughty, you naughty figs. So anyway, <laughs> so he sees these two baskets. One is good, and one is so bad, you can't even eat it. How a bad basket got to the temple of the Lord, we don't really know. It could have been maybe even providential. Maybe God just providentially brought this about for this visual illustration to Jeremiah. It could also be that, you know, this was back in the day when there weren't any preservatives added to this, like sulfur dioxide and stuff. And so they fig spoiled very quickly. And maybe somebody delayed in bringing their offering to the temple of the Lord. We don't know how the bad figs got there, but... You have one good basket, one bad basket. When people would bring things like this to the temple, it was unto the Lord, but it was for the priests. The law dictated that Numbers 18 verse 13 said that the people, when they would bring the first of the harvest, would bring it unto the Lord to the temple, but this was for the priest to have for themselves. This was part of the way that the priests were provided for uh, in the service of, of their ministry was they, they would take the first fruits that were offered unto the Lord, and it was part, partly for their provision. And so Jeremiah sees one good basket, one bad basket. And then the Lord is going to use this illustration here to communicate something. And he says in this chapter that the good figs represent those who have been taken exile into Babylon. These people who have been separated from their homeland, forcibly removed from their home, homeland, separated from their families, uh, they, they, they are leaving everything behind, and they're being taken as a prisoner of war to Babylon, and God says the good basket of figs is a picture of them. And the bad basket of figs, he says here in chapter 24, is a picture of King Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, and those who have remained in the land and were not deported to Babylon. Now, please note with me that it's not intended to represent good people, bad people. All of Judah was guilty before God of adopting pagan practices and worshiping pagan gods of the neighboring nations around them. Obviously, within the guilt of the whole nation, there were bound to be some people who were still faithful to God and righteous before him. We know some. We know Jeremiah, for example, Daniel, Ezekiel, okay, 
But nevertheless, even those who were considered righteous before God, like Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Daniel and Ezekiel, though they might have been considered good, got swept up and were deported along with the bad figs. So it's not a picture of good people, bad people. If that were the case, then why were good people being taken hostage and having to serve 70 years of captivity in Babylon? So the figs do not represent good people, bad people. The good fruit, bad fruit of this story represents the good that will come out of being disciplined by God or the bad that will result for those who resist it. That's the lesson of the figs here. The good figs, bad figs was not a statement about good people, bad people, but the good that is produced in the hearts of people who will respond to the discipline of God or the bad that will result for those who refuse it. Now, what was so ironic in all of this, the way that God referred to the exiles as good, looking ahead to the good that was going to come out of their lives, and the bad fruit, those who were staying behind, the irony of this is that those who were taken captive and deported to Babylon, okay, stripped of everything, Taken. Can you imagine that another nation comes, forcibly removes you from your homes, separates you from your children or your parents, takes you to a foreign country. You likely will not see your parents or your children again. You've left everything you've ever known or been comfortable with in your home. You're now living in a foreign land. It's easy to look at that situation and say to yourself, and this is what happens in our story, the people looked at their circumstance now that they've been deported to Babylon and said, this is bad. And God says, no. This is good. You're, you're, you're the picture of the good things. And, and that the irony also is that those who were not deported, King Zedekiah and the others who stayed back in the land, and they prided themselves that they were better than the exiles because, look, we get to stay in our homeland. And, and those people got exiled. They're over in Babylon. And they thought to themselves, this is good. And God said, no, no, this is bad. That's the irony of all of this. Because the issue at hand was not where they lived, but who they were living for. That was the real issue at hand here. It was not where they lived, but who they were living for. And sometimes God has to get us out of our comfort zone so we can figure that out. Anybody relate to me on this? Sometimes God has to get us out of our comfort zone so we will finally acknowledge that we're living for Him. So here in our chapter in verse 5, when God says, I regard the exiles as good, He does not mean they were good people. Otherwise, He would not have sent them captive to Babylon for 70 years. But He says, I regard the exiles as good because He was looking ahead to the good that is going to be accomplished in their lives through the chastening of them for His glory and for their good. Sometimes we find ourselves in less than desirable places, places in life where we don't want to be. That can be circumstantial, that can be relational, it can be a variety of, you know, metaphorically in a place we don't like to be. And we think this is bad. But could it be that God sees it as a good place for you because He is accomplishing His purposes in your life. Everybody tracking with me? 
Every bad place is not actually bad if it is producing in you something good. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's study on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary has been sharing from the writings of Jeremiah, and we hope you'll continue to tune in to dig deeper into this Old Testament book of prophecy. If you have any questions about this series, the Bible itself, or the ministry of Cornerstone Connection, please feel free to reach out. Our phone number here is 703-771-1500. And when you call, let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. You can continue listening to Pastor Gary's messages right now by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or by downloading our mobile app. You can find a link on our website or just search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. Pastor Gary also has some companion study resources for many of his teachings. These are located under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc and are free for you to use in your own study of the Word. We'd enjoy meeting you, too. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us at Cornerstone Chapel for our weekly services. You can get directions and service times at our website, One more time, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's teaching. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know